tuned into Voicebox, KLW's weekly music series all about the art of singing and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. Thanks for joining me tonight. In a documentary on YouTube, a Dutch TV company follows the American pop singer Tori Amos around London on a piano shopping expedition. Tori Amos is among a relatively small group of musicians who have made big names for themselves as singer-pianists, that is, artists who perform songs while accompanying themselves at the piano. As she goes from store to store in the documentary, Amos tries various instruments out. Sometimes she looks very much at ease, sitting at the keyboards and singing her heart out. At other times, she approaches the instruments gingerly, as one might a foreboding building, for example, and says quirky things like, this piano is low fat, or this one is a good fun night out. She's kind of eccentric. At other times still, the artist looks extremely uncomfortable while playing and singing, as if she might lose her balance in the attempt to hit all the notes with her fingers and get the words out through her mouth, all the while standing with her back hunched over and her right foot grabbing for the pedal in the space below the keyboard like she's pawing blindly for a lost sock at the back of a washing machine. Playing the piano while singing songs sounds simple enough, but watching Amos on her shopping spree tells a different story. Holding a tune at the same time as commanding an unwieldy 88-key instrument is, in fact, far from easy. So on tonight's show, we're going to look at what it takes to be both an accomplished pianist and vocalist and practice both of these arts at the same time. To that end, I'm lucky to be joined in the studio by one of the Bay Area's most luminous singer-pianists, Jill Tracy. Hello, Jill. Thanks for coming into KALW tonight. Hi, Chloe. Thank you. Jill Tracy is a singer, pianist, writer, composer and performance artist based in San Francisco. She's listed in San Francisco Magazine's Top 100 Creative Forces in the Bay Area and has received a Best of the Bay Award from the San Francisco Bay Guardian. I first encountered Jill's work soon after arriving in the Bay Area around a decade ago when I heard Jill performing her original score to F.W. Manow's 1922 silent film classic Nosferatu at the Red Vic Movie House. Over the next hour, we'll be looking at Jill's career as a singer-pianist, as well as the challenges she faces and techniques she employs to get the sounds she wants. We'll also talk about some of pop music history's greatest, and not-so-greatest, practitioners of the singing-while-playing-the-piano thing, from Elton John to Nina Simone. But first, let's kick off tonight's playlist with one of Jill's songs for voice and piano. Here's Evil Night Together from the album Diabolical Streak. If you've just joined us, welcome. 
You're listening to A Voice Box on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. On tonight's programme, the San Francisco-based singer and pianist Jill Tracy is in the studio with me. We're just about to launch into a discussion about the art of singing while playing the piano. Jill, there's a lot going on in the moody, swinging track we just heard, Evil Night Together, which you tell me is your most famous song. How do the piano and vocal lines relate to each other? Well, Evil Night Together is written around that groove you know it's kind of a swingy dark jazz groove and the drums you know you hear these great tom-toms in there and that is what supports the vocal melody so it's really kind of that you you lock into that groove and then i i wrote the music first for that song and then later fit a vocal melody in there and figured out you know where i want to drop the voice in with the piano do you normally write the music first or the vocal first uh, I normally depend? write the music first. Okay. Uh, I feel like the music sets the mood, and then it gives me an idea of what the song is going to be about. And then I, I, I usually, if I'm at the piano, I will marry a vocal melody in while I'm writing the music and just figure out kind of where the melody could fall. Mm-hmm. But then the lyrics will come later because the music starts giving you an idea of what mm-hmm. the song could be about. And of course, when we're talking music, we're talking about the piano line, essentially, right? This word music that we've been using just now. Yes, I, I write the song sitting at the piano by myself, and then I will present them to my band, usually my drummer first, if we're not all together, uh, and say, okay, I have this new song, and here it is, and then, you know, coming up with, and I hear, you know, I hear the whole thing in my head, arranged, and I don't know, I mean, this is just the way I work. A lot of people do write the lyrics first, and then sit down and put music to the lyrics, but I have never been able to work like that. It seems like playing the piano while singing requires a lot of talent as a multitasker, perhaps more than playing the guitar while singing, which is at least a more contained instrument size-wise. What, Jill, are the main technical challenges of playing and singing at the same time? Well, I always laugh because when I do shows and they, they, they say, gee, we have a, a big grand piano for you, and I always call it the brontosaurus because you're sort of stuck back there. And in fact, I prefer to do shows standing at my keyboard because I feel like I can be more of a front person and have the freedom to move around. But yeah, you're right. It's a total dance in multitasking where the left hand is because of, you know, the frequency of the keyboard is most often doing the bass lines and some percussive elements depending on, you know, how the song is arranged. And then your right hand is doing more melodic fills, soloing, it's playing chords, it's it's supporting the vocal. Um, and then at the same time, you're having to uh, remember your lyrics and at the same time perform well and then move your body in such a way. And especially if you're in a live situation, which people don't realize, you are a slave to where that microphone is. Ah. So I can't really move my head around and be as free as I would like to because I have to keep my head uh, right in front of the microphone. So it's difficult to rock out then. It is, and and that's why if I'm working on songs and writing at home or in, in the rehearsal space, I will usually rehearse with a microphone before a show because then that's going to get me back to where I'm very restricted and I can't move and God forbid I have, I, I love hats and I'm always wearing hats on stage and, and, and certain hats I can't move my head in a certain angle because the hat will hit the microphone and so people <laughs> don't realize that all this is going on on, on stage. where so I'm, I'm, You rehearse all of this then? 
learn in advance? I mean, you know, would you even wear your hat in while you're rehearsing in order so that you know what that feels like while you're playing? If it's a hat I've never... <laughs> yes, this is what they don't know. If it's a hat that I've never worn on stage before, I will put it on during rehearsing with a... Uh, a microphone just just for a short time yeah. like I, I wouldn't you know rehearse the I whole see. set but just to make sure to know how much leeway I have to move around mm-hmm. well what about your feet are you using pedals at all yes so yes. that's going on too right and that is a really different animal sitting down playing versus standing up playing because uh, uh, I use a sustain pedal a lot uh, on most pianos, there, there are three pedals, but the most often, at least what I use, is the sustain pedal. Which um, is the one furthest to the right. Exactly. And most portable keyboards or digital pianos will, will just have the sustain pedal. When you're sitting down, it's not an issue because your body weight is supported by the bench and you can swing your feet around and mm-hmm. really, you know, go get lost in, in, the, in the song. But when you're standing up... You've got to use that sustain pedal, so I, you know, have to really balance on one foot. Like I'm, I'm balanced on my left foot, and using that sustain on my right. And then I had to learn how much I can move around, keeping my balance. Or if I have to reach for a high note, or you know, uh, want to move around, you know, it, it it took a while to to kind of choreograph how I can do that. And now, why would balance. you stand up at all, though? I mean, obviously, it's much easier to sit down and play while you're singing, right? Given all the different things that are involved: your voice, your hands, your feet, the performative aspects in terms of the the character of your of your playing um, but so what what is the argument to even stand up at all if you've got to do all these things it's much more complicated standing up I just felt as a visual because I'm a front person and I do like to move around and and make elegant gestures and uh, that I was too confined sitting down and I just didn't feel uh, visually it had the impact because then I'm, I'm lower down oh, I see so you'd either have to get a platform to raise me up and I just didn't have the freedom to move my body as I I, mm-hmm. I would want to, and I don't feel like I could emote as well sitting down. Right. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. What about, um, do you ever find yourself needing to look at your fingers? I, th- that comes in the rehearsing, you know, certain parts of the song that are complicated or you're making a really g- grand change in the song, I, I will glance down and you kind of learn where those are. Um, sometimes if you're just vamping along, like Evil Night Together, it has you know sort of that, a, a cyclical vamp. I don't have to look down. But sometimes, yeah, you do have to look down. And I've been at shows where they're trying to have a noir lighting, and, and, and you'll go to sound check, and you will get your levels and get everything and get acclimated to the stage, and the lights are up, and you don't realize that they're going to change the lights on you, or you think, you know, and they should show you what the lights are really going to be like, you know, when the, the show begins and the audience is there. I've just learned, you know, I can't uh, fake it. I don't want to put on a bad show. And then that's when I really admire Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, because they don't have to see their hands. They um, they can't see their hands. But I uh, made an, you know, I, I just say, hey, I need a little more light on my hands. I need to see the keyboard. So then you got your light? They somehow find I got my light. light. At this particular show, uh, they 
could not find the light immediately. I guess the lighting person had walked out, you know, as it always happens. Go smoke a cigarette. Yeah. So a fan jumped on stage and and, um, turned on a flashlight. And it was very funny because the audience laughed. And then he stood up there for a while. And uh, it was just very cute. And and then finally the the lighting person came back in. That's adorable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to listen now to one of Jill's more technically demanding piano and voice tracks in terms of the different things that are are going on. Um, This track is In Between Shades by Jill Tracy, tonight's guest on Voicebox. The track comes from the album The Bittersweet Constrain. Let's pretend we got this world on a straight like we promised we would miss Let's pretend it don't feel as fine today. Let's pretend is Voice Box on KALW and that was In Between Shades a song by tonight's in-studio guest Jill Tracy. We're talking about the skills involved in playing the piano at the same time as singing. So how would you describe yourself Jill? Are you a singing piano player or a piano playing singer or what? (laughs) Depends if I'm doing them at the same time or what I'm doing first. Uh, I probably was a singer first. I always wanted to sing. And, and when I was three years old, my mother still tells this story of that I would I would unplug the vacuum cleaner from the wall, those old cordless, you know, tank cleaners, and I would use the plug as a microphone. And she would get <laughs> mad because I was always unplugging it to use the cord. Um, but then later, I uh, discovered the piano. How uh, old were you roughly when you did that? I was about seven years old. Did you have one in the house? I did not. And it's kind of an interesting story of I, uh, when I was about seven years old, started uh, being introduced to these old black and white films that, you know, the Hitchcock films and old, you know, whatever happened to Baby Jane and all of these old, you know, film noir and suspense films. And and I would watch them, and I learned that what really evoked and conjured the emotion as you watched was the music. And I would turn down the music on the TV, and then it's like, well, gee, this guy's sitting in a diner, and it's not scary now, but then you turn the music up, and it's, oh, you know, and, and, I, and I thought that was magical, and I wanted to figure out, how do you do that? You know, how do you create this music and, and, and why do we react? Like why do certain notes or, or is it like colors? Certain colors make you calm and certain colors get you angry or excited and are certain notes like that too? Is it, it, it just all seemed very magical to me. So about the same time I would go visit the neighbor and there was this uh, elderly widow who lived next door mm-hmm. and she had this wonderful little house and all the strange bric-a-brac old dolls and remember the old the Siamese cats that had uh, jewels for eyes, those porcelain cats, and and mm-hmm. she would let me play in the house, and in her basement, 
just kind of tucked away by the washer and dryer and the humming fluorescent lights was this old piano. It was gold. It was like gold-flecked paint and ornate legs and an ornate little bench. And I had never played the piano or even sat at a piano. And I sat down and I just started hitting the notes and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what the notes were. But all of a sudden it seemed like, oh my gosh, I can create these moods and and you know conjure these other worlds and so so it was kind of about that like I just felt like that that piano was a portal to another place so how did the singing and piano playing come together for you at what point and what had to happen in order for you to to be able to do both of these things at the same time yeah what had to happen was I had to discover the right artists I think you know when they found out I was interested in piano they quickly signed me up for piano lessons and they want you to yeah and they want you to play classical music and the the, the teachers were were not interested in the fact that I wanted to conjure other worlds and you know <laughs> write my own music so i think it was when i discovered uh you know, like old Peter Gabriel and The Doors and Elton John and 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 these artists that were doing really great things with the piano. And I think um, I uh, I had mentioned to you on the phone earlier about the um, the song by the Cure, Love Cats. And when oh, I heard that song. song, and it's like, wow, this is taking this piano, this jazzy piano that I love and very dark and creating music you know a song from it and so I think that's when I you know was inspired to start merging the two and writing my own songs. Did you find it challenging at the beginning trying to do both of these things at once or did it seem very organic to you? It seemed very organic Uh, I I think just because I I started learning songs by other people and practicing playing and, and singing that as a kid and uh the the challenge was when I first started playing with other musicians because as a, a singer pianist, you know you're keeping the beat and you're tapping your foot or whatever, and you don't know if you're keeping the right beat. You might be speeding up. People have it. You have a tendency to speed up when you're excited, and and uh, so it wasn't until I started playing with actual, you know, an actual drummer who was a good drummer and could keep time. You realize, gee, you know, I'm I'm speeding up or slowing down, and and then you have to relinquish a lot of the control in those situations because you you know you certainly you all have to play together. Uh, Do you have any exercises or drills that you perform in order to keep your your vocal technique and your piano technique uh, in tip-top shape, especially since you're playing both together? At times, if if a new song, if I'm I'm working up a new song and I'm not familiar with playing it, there's a really rough period. So I will rehearse a little bit with a metronome if I don't have my band with me to rehearse, just to kind of know how that feels to keep constant time. And then um, then you kind of get used to it. You kind of uh, get uh, comfortable with, with how that's going to feel. And before I go on stage, I try to do uh, vocal exercises just to warm up my voice and, and stretch my body, you know, certainly stretching my legs and hips and, and waist, you know, so I, I can move around and just feel kind of lengthened and mobile in my body. But you don't often get a chance to do that, you know, when you're on the road. Mm. And, and all of us tell funny stories about that where you're, you know, a musician on the road and you may have to go into the restroom or, you know, something to do your vocal exercises because you, you, you don't often have a place to go to be alone. And you'll, you'll, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a dressing room or a green room and nobody's in there or you're doing it in front of people and it's, it's uh, 
often a challenge. So on some of your songs, Jill, like the one we're about to hear, you combine playing the piano with a vocal sound that is closer to speaking than singing. What's the difference for you between singing while playing the piano and speaking while playing the piano? Well, on this next song especially, when I wrote this song, I wanted to give it a quality of uh, a story. You're whispering in an ear. It's it's almost like a sage giving some mystical information that, and that old beatnik quality. So this song is really written around the bass line and that's important if I'm more speaking a song is there's got to be a groove so you can just really connect and gel into that and uh, find that pattern of just of just speaking the song well let's listen to that song now here's pulling your insides out from Jill's diabolical streak album Listening to Voicebox, KALW's weekly vocal music series, I'm Chloe Veltman. I'm in the studio tonight with pianist and singer Jill Tracy, and we're chatting about the multi-dexterous art of singing while playing the piano. We just heard Jill's track, Pulling Your Insides Out, from her Diabolical Streak album. That's a really wonderful track, Jill. I love that bass line. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, the, the bass line really carries the song. And what's interesting about that song is the piano plays a very sparse part, but it's a very, it's almost like a little earworm, like it just cycles again and again, you you know, you listen for that part, but as far as for the whole song, the piano is playing very little. Mm-hmm. There's obviously much more to having a successful career as a singer-pianist than learning to master the technical aspects of playing and singing at the same time. Um, the most important thing, or certainly one of the most important things, is to come out with great songs. Can you talk about the ins and outs of songwriting when you're creating tracks that will work for you as both pianist and vocalist, Jill? Well, I always write the music first, and I really believe in something magnetic in the song like there's got to be some kind of hook and it it seems like today there's so much music that's entirely linear you know there's nothing to just to to connect with and I approach the songs even though they're not pop songs or or necessarily you know commercial per se I do believe in a hook and it has to be melodic and with the vocal melody as well. So there's always a chorus, there's always something grand that happens that kind of lifts uh, or is is very catchy in a certain way, and that can be more on the musical side or the, the vocal side. What's the difference for you between writing and working on a song when you're at home, uh, on your own at the piano, and developing a track in the studio, perhaps with other musicians involved as well? Well, when you're alone at home with the piano, you have a tendency, you know, you've got to fill in all the gaps. So the the original, and this always happens when I originally write a song, I'm playing the bass and I'm playing the rhythm and I'm playing all the fills and all the parts and, and, and 
supporting myself. And then when I play solo, I, I kind of do that same thing too. But when I'm playing with the band or when I'm starting to arrange a song, then it kind of frees me up a little bit and I can explore it even further. Like, hey, my left hand doesn't have to be doing all of this stuff because now we're writing a bass line and... Um, you know the, the the drums are there and it it frees you up so i enjoy that challenge of having cuz i don't always play with the exact same lineup sometimes solo sometimes it might be bass and drums sometimes just a bass player sometimes a whole string section and and, and the songs will change depending on what the uh, availability of musicians is for that show and and you know the arrangements and so obviously there's a little bit of an element of improvisation in what you're doing uh, and do you find that that is more pronounced in the piano playing or the vocal line or in both for you I would say in my case it's more uh, the the piano line ch- can can change the vocal line is, is 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 sort of you know etched into the song. I see. So that's a constant. Although things you know change as, as you you know you feel them and, and and it's always slightly different. But the piano line is a little more amorphous and and, and can change uh, depending on who you have on stage with you. So in the Canadian TV documentary that I mentioned earlier in the show, Tori Amos reacted very differently to the various pianos that she encountered on her shopping trip around London. How does the type of piano you play influence the way you sing? Um, Well, it it depends, again, if I'm sitting or if I'm standing. So if we're talking about a real piano, I would be sitting. So I find that that, in, in in a strange way, I feel more confined when I'm sitting at a piano. Uh, so I, I have a tendency to use kind of more of the middle of the keyboard, which I, I think is is uh, unfortunate in a way because the you know the frequencies are so beautiful and often in pop music you you just hear someone playing you know chords mm-hmm. right in the middle of a, of a, of the keyboard and they're not varying themselves and i think in, in a way you're kind of shackled there when you're sitting down but with different pianos different brands of pianos have a very distinct sound some are very bright and have a feathery touch um uh, my upright at home is a yamaha and i really love their touch because um my touch is kind of very feathery. I'm doing a lot of very fragile things. I'm not uh, Jerry Lee Lewis type where I'm banging <laughs> on the piano. You would have to find a piano like there, there's certain pianos where you have to hit it heavier to get the sound you want. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that everything responds to that because of just how you have to play the piano. Also different frequencies. Uh, some pianos have a duller sound. So I think that you tend to write slightly different vocal melodies with that because you're trying to fit in those frequencies. And do you adjust your voice to suit particular pianos? I mean, if you if you're hap- if you happen to be playing a very brassy, loud piano, does that make you want to sing louder? For example, I, I would I would think so. I, and then also, if a piano is out of tune, <laughs> then you know you're having to sing a little bit out of tune yourself because you're having uh-huh. to, to compensate. You know, still fi- yeah. yeah, to compensate and find that melody. And then just the other day, we were at a piano that was terribly out of tune, and then the bass player, like, because ev- everyone has to tune to that piano mm-hmm. because I, I can't I can't change it. So that everyone has to tune to the how off that piano is and, and so so then the song to me just sounded really different because you know we mm. were just all in a different place you're listening to voice box on kalw 91.7 fm san francisco
KALW's Voice Box this evening. Pianist and singer Jill Tracy is with me, Chloe Veltman, in the studio. We're talking about the art of vocalists accompanying themselves on the piano. We just heard from two of the greatest piano-playing singers in the history of Western pop music. The well-known tracks were Benny and the Jets by Elton John and Don't Explain by Nina Simone. Jill, can you tell us anything about the artistry of these brilliant singer-pianists? What was notable about their approach to the twin skills of playing the piano and singing? Well, the approaches on those two are very, very different. And uh, Benny and the Jets is one of my favorite arrangements for this great syncopation of of the piano part and the drums. And it's infectious, and it it creates this wonderfully offbeat rhythm. And then the vocal melody is accenting that rhythm, too. And then at the end of the song, there's this, I think it's an electric synthesizer. It it comes in, and it has its own rhythm, and it's, it's... it's just wonderful the way that song was arranged and whereas the Nina Simone Don't Explain which of course is the cover of the Billie Holiday tune that is is completely driven by the vocal where the piano part is very liquid almost like teardrops that she's just supporting the vocal you don't even need the piano in there it's just kind of adding color and fills and that, that arrangement is completely driven by that gorgeous emotional Vocal, and I, and I think that's why you, you hear it and you're just moved to tears because it's just all about her performance. It seems that people who are truly accomplished at combining piano playing and singing are a fairly rare breed today. It was common enough for people to accompany themselves at the piano a hundred years ago or more when technology was not so advanced and entertainment options were more of the do-it-yourself kind. But every now and again, we see a resurgence of interest in artists who do both. Um, why do you think is this, this is the case, Jill? It's become a lost art, sadly, with technology, and it's become so easy to be a, a quote-unquote musician and form a band, and, and you're, you're just sampling other people's work and creating music on a computer. And that's one thing that I've always strived for with my music, is we're all playing our instruments. It's all live. I have never done any kind of computer trickery or programmed any, anything. Uh, and in fact, I remember doing a festival, and we were the only band that wasn't standing at a laptop on stage. <laughs> and I was laughing, and I said, "Well, gee, they're either gonna love us or they're gonna hate us." Because, like, I, you know, come up and I'm playing uh, the keyboard, and although, yeah, it's a digital instrument, but I'm I'm playing piano on it. I'm not, you know, playing anything programmed. And then there's an upright bass, and there's a full drum kit, and people loved it because it was refreshing to them. Where, uh, you know, we were just up there playing our instruments and it was live and and there's that beautiful danger in that where yeah I can make a mistake I can forget a lyric I can there's there's no safety net up there so Jill blues is often a genre where we have singer pianists like Ray Charles for example why is it that blues is such a popular genre for singer pianists 
I think because it's all about the story, especially the blues. It's all about telling a sad story. And the musicality of blues is the cycle. You know, it's going one, four, five, and it cycles around. So it lends itself to playing with musicians and improvising because everybody knows that pattern. You go in for the one, you're going to sing a sad, I got the blues, and you're going to sing a sad song, and then everyone's going to kind of fill in with their melodies. And uh, it, it lends itself to just playing on the road and live because it's, it's easy to improvise. And then it leaves a lot of space for the vocal. I'd like to play a track from the 1945 by the bluesman Charles Brown, Drifting Blues. It's a song that you really like, Jill. What's so cool about Brown's approach to singing and playing, and what should we listen out for in the track? Well, this is a great track because it's just Charles Brown, that velvet voice at the piano just by himself, so you're not going to hear other musicians. So it gives us uh, an example of just hearing how that pattern works and how he's accompanying himself and you know, f- filling in all the gaps, basically. But it's really the vocal that still drives this. Let's listen now to Charles Brown with Drifting Blues. Well, I'm drifting and I'm drifting Like a ship out on the sea Drifting and I'm drifting Like a ship out on the sea Well, I ain't got nobody In this world to care for me this is Voice Box on KALW, and that was Drift in Blues, a 1945 song by the bluesman Charles Brown. My guest in the studio tonight is the San Francisco-based singer and pianist Jill Tracy. We're talking about the art of singing while playing the piano. Not an easy feat. Jill, I'd like to turn our attention now to a couple more tracks which you strongly admire from a piano playing and vocal perspective. Let's start with the song Night Porter by the now long and sadly defunct British new wave group Japan. I always knew that David Sylvian, the lead singer with Japan, had a distinctive voice, a very beautiful voice actually, but I didn't know that he also commonly accompanied himself on the piano. Jill, what fascinates you so much about Sylvian's approach to singing and playing the song Night Porter? Well, this was such an inspiration to me as a teen, and it's just beautiful, and it really uh, was an influence on my approach to the piano, and it it has a very dark classical feel, and I was fortunate enough years later to see him live at a piano just by himself playing and singing this, and it really moves you to tears. But this example... um, is a song that the piano melody is very well crafted and it is just as much of a hook as the vocal melody and in fact they both support each other so the piano and vocal melody are almost doing the same thing uh, so if you you know walk away from this song, you're you're hearing the piano melody in your head as much as the vocal melody. Another song I'd like to touch upon right now with you, Jill, is "Sometimes Sunshine" by the Philadelphia-based cabaret outfit Revue Noir. Here we have a completely contrasting take on the piano and vocal sound achieved by the vocalist. Can you tell us about this song, which we'll hear in a minute, please, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, this is a modern band, so they have a very sort of old German cabaret vibe, and the singer is named Nikki Jane, and she's got this tremendous, very low voice, voice. and and I'm fortunate enough to be good friends with her, and when you meet her, she's this tiny little girl, and her natural voice is very high, (laughs) but when you hear her sing, it's just like, you can't believe that this voice is coming out of of this small little thing, but you will hear that classic sort of um, percussive eighth notes, that very cabaret feel, very staccato and urgent, and the vocal is written over that same beat, you know, accenting those piano notes. Let's hear the two songs we've just been discussing now. Here's Night Porter by Japan from the album Gentlemen Take Polaroids, and then Sometimes Sunshine by Revue Noir. The song comes from the Anthology Archive album. Could I ever explain This feeling of love It just lingers on The fear in my heart that Keeps telling me which way to turn Sunshine, I think you're happy With an ounce of prevention and a pound of cure I think your memory's quite selective When recalling what I came here for Night Porter by Japan, paired with Revue Noir's Sometimes Sunshine, here on Voicebox. I'm in the studio with singer and pianist Jill Tracy, and we're discussing the art of singers accompanying themselves on the piano. Given the fact that playing the piano while singing requires so much skill to do well, it's not surprising that quite a lot of people fail to pull off the feet. One way to disguise a lack of mastery is to simply punch out block chords in the centre of the keyboard. Another is to operate in an environment where good intonation and things like that aren't as important as making a really, really loud sound. Jill, what are some of your bugbears when it comes to people attempting to sing and play simultaneously? One of the things I find disturbing is the piano has so much possibility and someone is just like right in the center and then they're playing the same chords over and over and they're not really creating anything interesting when they're just there's there's so much there to work with and it's it's kind of I, I guess laziness or just an inability to try to you know they've learned three chords and that's all they're going to do um, that it's uh, it's just uninteresting. Let's listen now to an example of a singer who didn't quite get the art of singing while playing. Few people have heard of the 1960s singer-pianist Lucia Pamela, which is perhaps no surprise when you get a taste of her bizarre approach to making music. Here's an obscure track, fittingly entitled... The flip, flop, fly. When I say flip, you flip. When I say flop, you flop. When I say fly, we'll all fly. Flop, 
flip-flop fly, flip-flop fly, you flip-flop flop, we'll both fly, flip-flop fly, now you're my guy, now let's all try to do the flip-flop fly, I'll go man go, oh, 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 we're all doing the flip-flop fly, a flip-flop fly, a flip-flop fly, way up in the sky, I whooped in outer space, we'll go, where the wind so softly, through the clouds hanging low, touching the that was absolutely out of this world. <laughs> You're tuned into Voice Box on KALW, and I'm in the studio tonight with Jill Tracy, a Bay Area based singer and pianist. But that wasn't me. <laughs> that we just no, <laughs> that was not you. Certainly not. Um, we just listened to Flip Flop Fly by Lucia Pamela, who is a fairly obscure, though cultish singer of the 1960s, who often tried to accompany herself on the piano. That was a bit of a disaster. What was going on there, Jill, in that song? Well, the story is that she plays all the instruments on all her recordings, uh, but she is a pianist. And it, when you listen to the recordings, the band is actually really good. Like, it's this great kind of swingy old jazz. Honky-tonk but, sound. But, but the vocal is one of these things where, yeah, it's it's the intonation is so bad and the and the, 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 there's no melody. But but that's, I think, what makes it brilliant is it's just it's one of these things that it's so bad that you can't stop listening to it. And, and she claimed that she was from the moon. Ah, that's not surprising. (laughs) A lot of the songs are about how she's living on the moon or traveling to the moon. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, interesting stuff. I remember when I first discovered her, we were just, you know, jaws dropped open. I think, oh my God, this is just outrageous. Well, it's approaching the top of the hour and it's getting close to that moment when we have to say goodbye for another week. But I'd like to say an enormous thank you to Jill Tracy, pianist and vocalist extraordinaire, for coming into the studio tonight. Thanks for sharing your insights, Jill, and treating us to your beautiful music. Oh, you're welcome. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to find out more about Jill and her music, please visit her website at jilltracy.com. Voicebox is produced at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Voicebox can only happen with support from our listeners. To find out how you can become more involved with Voicebox, including how to make a much-needed tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. And don't forget that you can now listen to the latest edition of Voicebox and any of the station's other great locally produced music programmes on demand via KALW's online music player. Listen in whenever you like at kalw.org music. You can also keep up with us on Facebook and via Twitter, and we love to hear from you, so please write to us at info at voicebox-media.org. Alongside arias from operas, Lieder, a type of art song developed in Germany in the 19th century, are a beloved staple of a classically trained singer's repertoire. On next week's show, I'll be joined in the studio by Maxine Bernstein, founder of Lieder Alive, a Bay Area-based music series dedicated to furthering the art of Lieder and Kindra Sharik, a recitalist and opera singer who loves to perform these songs. The three of us will be exploring this lyrical art form next Friday from 10 to 11pm here on KALW. I hope you'll join us. I'll play us out with a track by the singer-pianist whom I mentioned at the start of the show, Tori Amos. Here's Cornflake Girl. The track comes from Amos's 1994 album, Under the Pink. Have a songful week.